invited him to come. He is the pastor of the church in Orange, California. He is HeartReach's pastor. Let's give a welcome to Pastor Adam Friedrich. Wow, good to be here with you guys. All right. I'm a, I'm a Manzanita alum. Anybody from Manzanita in the house? Not very many. Man, Manzanita. Great school. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. Let me show you a picture of my family so you guys can maybe get a picture of who we are. I've got a couple of them with me, actually. Abby, right here in the front row. My daughter is with me. She's right here in the front row, and uh, she's the joy of our family. Um, and then also Drew, who's playing the keyboard this morning, he's also um, a part of, uh, he, he's part of my family, it's my, my middle son, uh, my oldest son is not here, he just got married in September, he's all the way on, on your left, that's his bride right there, and if you look all the way to the right, there's, there's Drew holding the hand of that tall blonde right there, that's his fiance, he's getting married in March, and uh, my parents are right there in the middle, if my mom knew that this picture was being shown this morning, she'd be so upset. You know my mom at all. You know, like, she does not like to show the forehead. But I just love that picture of my mom. That's my mom and my dad right there. Just a family trip we had. Uh, man, what a, what a, we were, we, we lived here in Kingman, Arizona. Matter of fact, my mom's good friend Carolyn's here this morning, right here in the second row. And uh, we're excited to have her here with us to see her again. And... Uh, I, I love this city. Every time uh, we come to Lake Havasu quite a bit, and we love to roll through Kingman, uh, partly because my wife loves the Cracker Barrel. And, uh, but we actually just got one in California, if you can believe it or not. There are lines, literally lines of hundreds of people to go to the Cracker Bell, which I don't understand. I think it's, I think, you know, I think it's just a, it's a ploy to get us in there, to go to that store, to buy all of that junk that, 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 that loads up our houses. But anyways... Um, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here in Kingman. I love this church. I love your pastors. I love John and Kathy Poole. They are fantastic people. You ought to give your pastors a big round of applause. They are awesome. They're, they're incredible. Matter of fact, your pastor is going to be speaking at our conference um, in September. We're just so excited and privileged that he's going to be with us. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Um, I love their kids, all of them. I'm sad Amy's leaving. I'm sure you are too. We're all, you all miss her. Uh, but but love uh, Andrew and Jason. They are two um, studly guys that you guys have on staff here. You don't understand. They were here last night till 1, at, one o'clock in the morning, and then we're the first people here this morning for church church, and uh, that's the kind of heart that they have as your staff here at this church. Man, you got to give them a big round of applause. They, de- they deserve it. They deserve it. Amen. But I walked in last night, and I'm like, whoa, this place looks amazing. You guys have done a fantastic job. Don't you love this place? How I love it. Looks, it looks night and day different from the last time I walked in here. Now, I'm not talking bad about the way it was before. I'm just saying I like the way it is now much better. I, I walked in here. I just felt so good. And, and man, your, your team has done a, a great job. I've been getting the play-by-play of everything that's been going on. Andrew's been shooting me pictures. I mean, literally from when it was just wood on the stage. He's like, it's coming along. I'm like, okay. And then he, but, but as, as a progress going then just to walk in here and just to see it is just so fantastic. So anyways, I'm glad to be with you here this morning. Tonight is going to be fantastic. Heartreach is an amazing worship ministry. You're going to love it tonight. You're going to, you're going to have a, a fantastic time. It's going to be a great time in the presence of the Lord. Um, they're going to be out, outside right after uh, the service and we just want to meet you guys and just rub shoulders with you all. They're, they do have a little merch booth out there with, with t-shirts on it. I will give them a little shameless plug. You're, they're, they're actually, this is the second stop on a, on, a, on a nationwide tour. They're going coast to coast. And so they'll be, they'll be next weekend, we'll be in Pennsylvania. That's where we'll be next, next Sunday, a week from today. And uh, so anyways, how are they getting across country? Because I'm flying. I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting in that car. How are they going to make it? They're making it with t-shirt sales. And so if God moves upon your heart to buy a t-shirt uh, and, and help them out, that would be fantastic. I'm done with that. Let's get into God's word. What do you say? Does that sound good? Amen. So, Lord, we just come before you. God, before we open up your word, we want to invite you in. God, speak to us. Challenge us. Help us, Lord. Let our, art, let our hearts be open to what you'd say today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, a lot of times I think people get kind of, kind of goofed up when they think about what God's will is and what their own will is. And a lot of times I think, I think people struggle whether or not to search for God's will or discovering what's in their own heart. 
And, and sometimes, you know, in, throughout the Bible, I don't know if you're, if you're like me at all, I like to read the Bible and try to put myself in there. And every once in a while, you'll, you'll get into Scripture, and you'll find someone in the Bible, a story in the Bible, and you'll be able to identify with that person. Has anybody ever read the Bible, and it's like all of a sudden, it's kind of like it's reading your book. It's kind of like, kind of like your story. And, and so even though that they, they lived in another time, another era, you don't know them, you, you, don't, you don't know the culture that they lived in, but... But something about their story you can identify with as your own. And all of a sudden, as you read their story, it almost interprets your own. It almost tells your story before you even get there. Has anybody ever found something like that? Well, David, the King David is like that for me. Whenever I read through, read about his life and all of the different, I mean, the guy was on the run. He, he, he had all kinds of different trials and, and challenges and different things that would come his way. When I read about his life, it, it reminds me a lot about myself. And, 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 and I love reading through Psalms. Psalms is a fantastic book. How many love to read the Psalms? Psalms is, is, is awesome because, because one moment you'll be reading reading a psalm, and, and, and David's like, God, you're amazing. You're so great. Hallelujah, all that stuff. And then you, like, turn the page, and all of a sudden he's like, I hate everyone. Kill everyone. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's like, he's like schizophrenic. And so that's why I can kind of relate to him, because that happens to me all the time. I, I kind of waffle back and forth. But there's a particular story in the Bible about David, and, and the Bible, you know, tells it as he's, he's, he's sitting in a palace. Now, the king had everything. If you wanted anything, you would go to the king because the king had everything, all the wealth. He had all the greatest looking girls. He, he, he had everything he could possibly want. He, he actually, the Bible says he, he built a palace for himself. And you can imagine this palace was probably, you know, it was magnificent in ways we'd never be able to imagine. Uh, he had everybody at his beck and call, everything he could possibly ever need. And so the Bible is describing this. So David's sitting in his palace, probably overlooking the city, probably overlooking... Uh, everything that he was ruling over at the time. And, and the Bible says he, he looked out and he saw the tent where the, the presence of God or the Ark of the Covenant was. And he began to think to himself, like, this isn't right. Like, here I am. I'm in this palace. I've got everything I could ever want. I've got everything. All, all my desires are met. I've got, I've, got, I've got people at my beck and call. I've got all the money I could ever want. And, and yet I'm in all this comfort. And yet the the presence of God, the ark, is out there in a tent. It's like a mobile home. It's like the mobile home park for God right outside the palace, you know? And, and so he's looking at it, and he's just like, I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't think this is right. And so all of a sudden, something jumped into his heart, and he says, you know what? I want to build a temple for God. Now, that sounds normal to us, but that wasn't normal then because there were no temples, this has never been done before. This is like, this is like a premiere of this. This is, this is the first time this has ever happened. This is a brand new idea. This has never been done before. And so he wanted to get a little advice about this. And so, and so he went to his, his confidant, his advisor, his personal prophet. It was a guy by the name of Nathan. And he approaches Nathan. He's like, Nathan, hey, check this out. You know, here we are. You know, why don't you have a seat in my palace? You know, is that, is that chair comfortable? Would you like anything? You know, bring him, bring him some tea, you know, get, feather him. You can kind of picture this is what's going on, grapes, the whole nine, right? And, and, and he's like, hey, hey Nate, um, you know, I was sitting here enjoying my palace and checking out the view, and I looked outside. I saw God's mobile home park. I felt like this isn't fair that I'm living in luxury, and yet God's house is in a tent. I think we should build a temple. I think I, I, that's, what I, that's what, I, what I want to do. Now, what I, what I love about this text is that Nathan, and we're going to read this, but Nathan looks at David. He doesn't deliberate. He doesn't make phone calls. He looks David square in the eye, and he says this. He says, do whatever you have in your heart. Whatever's in your mind, do it. God is with you. Now, what I want you to note about that response is that Nathan didn't go, like, round up the other prophets, like all of his homeboys. He didn't, he didn't get all of the, the elders, if you would. He didn't grab them all together. He didn't stop and pray about it. He didn't say, you know, David, that's a little weird. Like, I don't even, I've never heard of a temple. I've never seen a temple. David, you got to be careful. Temples are expensive. Right? He didn't say he didn't say, hey David, you know, that's not easy to build. Like, 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 like that, that's a lot of work. This is a massive pr project. Nathan didn't do any of that. He looked at David and says, 
do whatever you have in your mind. Let's, let's read it in our text in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We have it for you on the screen. The Bible says this, that after David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am. I'm living in this fine palace, but the ark remains in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, whatever you have in mind, do it for the Lord is with you. I love that. Nathan didn't say anything to make David feel guilty. He didn't say, David, you're right. How could you do that? How could you build a palace first and leave God out there in a tent? He didn't do that. He said, he said, he said do whatever you have in your mind. God is with you. It was, what, it was something in David's heart, and David had a responsibility to get it out. I'm here today to tell you that you have things in your heart too. That you can identify with David. We all can identify with David. Because God puts things in our hearts, and it's our responsibility to get, get it out. And so the question I want to pose to everyone in this room this morning is this. Is what do you have in your heart? What is inside of your heart? Here's the truth. Everything, everybody say everything. Everything that God has ever done. Everything that God is going to do on this planet, anything that, that, that God is going to start on this earth, it's not going to start with land, it's not going to start with a building, it's not going to start with a conference or an idea, a fancy show, that's not what God uses. Everything that God has ever done or will do, it starts with a person. I, oh, I hope, I hope you heard that. It starts with a person. And so God is saying to us this morning that I didn't choose a place. I, I didn't choose a group of people, a tribe of people. I didn't choose a temple. Like that wasn't my idea. I chose David. I chose a person, a man after my own heart. I, he's got all of that stuff in his heart. If it's in his heart, then I can use it. That's what God's saying. He's saying, he's saying I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't ask for a temple. There's nowhere in the Bible you're going to see God say, hey, David, whoa, what's up, man? Palace, what's up? Tent, come on, you know, temple, good idea. You're not going to ever see anywhere in God's word where he asks for a temple. He didn't need a temple. He didn't need a temple to move. He's not defined by a temple. God, God, God didn't choose a temple. God's not any more God with a temple than he is without a temple. He doesn't need it. Are you hearing that today? He's not any less of a God without a temple. It wasn't in God's heart to build a temple. It was in David's heart. And because it was in David's heart, God could use it. And so God's looking at David and saying, hey, temple? I can do a temple. I can, I can do, a temple could be cool. Like, I, I, could, I could live in a temple. I don't need one. I'm not telling you you have to build one. I, I chose you, and if that's in your heart, well, let's do it. Let's do a temple. See, the problem is most people say, wait around, waiting to find out for sure, guarantee Am I in the will of God? Is what I'm a part of, is this the heart of God? But I think that's the wrong question. And I know some of you might have disagreed with me this morning, and that's okay. I won't be here next week. But the right question I think we've got to ask this morning is, what's in my heart? The Bible says that God put it in, in their hearts to establish his purpose. And so the will of God is not something that's coming. The will of God has already been placed inside of your heart. Are you hearing me this morning? It's already inside of you. And so many people, they'll waste all their time going to conferences, listening to sermons, attending churches, all waiting for God to show, show up and, and tell them exactly what to do. They'll spend all of their time asking for the will of God. Lord, should I marry this person? Should I go or attend this particular church? Should I get involved in this particular ministry? Should I go after this career? Career? Should I start this, 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 this opportunity? And, and I'm telling you, God's not sitting around waiting to answer those questions. God's saying, is it in your heart? Because if it's in your heart, I can use it. Let me give you an example. When I was 19 years old, my eyes crossed paths with this beautiful, blonde bombshell of a girl. Her name was Carrie. And I was stricken by her. 
I just wanted to be around her all the time. And all of a sudden, it was in my heart. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, it was in my heart that I want to spend the rest of my life with that girl. And I'm going to be honest with you. I never prayed about it. I never said, God, is it your will? I was just hoping it was. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was 19 years old. I was smitten. I was stricken. And I, I, I got down on a bended knee and asked her to, to marry me. And 24 years later, three kids later, we're still going after it. And let me tell you something. I still don't know. Like, God's never said, hey, thumbs up, great job, Adam, way to, way to be in my will. I, I still don't know whether or not I'm in the will of God. I've, I've never gotten confirmation of that, but it was in my heart, and I think when you do something that's in your heart, God can use it. Can somebody shout amen? Can somebody shout amen today? This is just an example of what I'm talking about. You see, every single one of us we have, we have certain passions and ideas and stuff that makes us go and stuff that excites us. And, and those things are clues to our destiny. They're clues to how God wants to use you and things that he wants to do with your life. You know, the next, the next move of God is not up in heaven. Too many people are waiting, waiting for heaven. Excited about heaven, and I'm not saying heaven's not going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. But I'm going to tell you something. The next move of God is not in heaven. The next move of God is here, and it's in you. It's already inside of you. It's, it's in the genius that God gave you, that amazing mind to create and to, and to, and to build and to, and to plant, the desire that God placed inside of you for certain things. These are all clues to how God wants to use your life to make a difference in this world. I think it's time to stop asking God for revival. He's already risen, somebody. Come on. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive where? It's in you. It's inside of you. The Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So why are we praying for God to show up? He's already here. Come on, he's, he's already here. And I figure while everyone else is praying for the next big thing, I'm just going to get on with stuff. I'm going to let everybody else pray about it. And I, I know that I, what I know is that God put a passion in me. He's put ideas in me. He's put desires in me. And I can keep myself busy for eternity just trying to get out what God's put inside of my heart. And you can too. You can too. Amen. I think we should roll our sleeves up and get busy. I can look back at things that I didn't know was God's will, but I would just roll the dice and give it a shot. I'm, I've never been good at asking for permission. My philosophy is go until someone says no. You know what I mean? I don't ever ask, is this okay? I figure if it's not okay, somebody will tell me. Hello, anyone? Kingman. You know, we want to map everything out and make sure we got all of our ducks in a row. We want to make sure that everything's going to turn out just fine. And that's, and that's okay, but... But, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, God doesn't honor that. God honors faith. Faith is taking a step not knowing what's next. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what the Bible says. And so sometimes we just got to step out and believe that what's in our heart, God actually put there for a reason. And we've got to figure out what that is. So what is in you? What is in your heart? That's the question for you this morning. Here's the truth. Has everything I've been a part of been a genuine move of God? No. There's been a lot of things that, that I look back on and think, why in the world did I do that? That was stupid. But I have done some things that I didn't know was the will of God, and all of a sudden it began to synergize with things that God's put in other people's hearts, and people began to rally around it, and people have been changed by these things. And I look back after five, ten years later and think, wow, man, just because we took a step, not knowing what God would do, look how far we've come. Look what we've been able to accomplish together. And all we did was make a decision to get out what was already inside of our hearts. Let me tell you something. What Praise Chapel Kingman is going to look like in five years, what, what Praise Chapel Kingman's going to look like in even 10 years. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm prophesying, it's already in the building. It's already in the building this morning. It's already, it's inside of your heart. And so whatever you're going to go on to birth, whatever you're going to plant, whatever you'll build as a church, whatever you're going to say to this community, whatever you're going to go on to do together, it's already here. We got to quit asking God to bring it. It's already in the building. We need to thank God for it and move forward in it. Since somebody shout amen today. 
I remember this one particular time. I'll just give you an example in my own life. I was a young, young uh, youth pastor, just starting out with young people, and, and, and God graced us and brought a group of breakdancers into our church. Okay? This, was, this was like in the mid-90s. I don't, you don't have to like breakdancing to like breakdancing. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't have to know how. You don't have to enjoy the music. But when people, like really good breakdancers start to breakdance, it's amazing. Like, has anybody ever been to Vegas walking there and there's these dudes just spinning on their heads? Like, you have to stop and check that out. It's amazing, right? So we had these group of really talented, well-known breakdancers. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to do a breakdancing event here at the church? It'd be amazing. And so, so I got together with these guys. I'm like, guys, let's do a breakdancing event. And they're like, I thought you'd never ask. And so they began to kind of like download, you know, how this looks and try to teach me about hip-hop and the different elements of hip-hop. And I, I was like, you know, and so I put my hat on backwards. I'm like, what's up? You know, I'm trying to trying to kind of identify, you know. It didn't work. They actually threw some overalls on me one time, and it was, it was embarrassing. Anyways, but, but I remember uh, they said, look, we're going to do this event. We, we have to have a grand prize. We're going to give $300 away to the, the winning breakdancer of the night. We've got judges. We're going to have a DJ. We're going to have graffiti artists here and MCs, and those are all the elements of hip-hop. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, that sounds awesome. And so they said, so we got to give $300 away. Well, I said, we don't have budget $300. That's a lot of money, man. I'm not, I can't afford to do that. Um, he said, well, we'll just charge money at the door. We'll use the money, and we'll pay the person who wins. I'm like, that sounds fantastic. So we printed up five thousand flyers told everybody there was a there was a grand prize cash prize winning and so we ended up that night when it was time for the event to start we had a line of a thousand kids down our street now I'm just a young guy this is exciting to me like I'm just like whoa this is this is amazing you know I'm, like I'm walking like a hip hopper you know like what's up everybody you know and then I saw my dad, I caught eye contact with my dad, and my dad is just, he's very cautious. If you know anything about my father, he's extremely cautious, very safe. And I saw my dad, he's just like pacing in the street. He's like walking like this. He's not, he doesn't even want to look up. And he's, so I walk over to him, and his jaw's clenched. He's very upset. And, you know, he's like, what's going on? How, this, is, this is crazy. Do we, we don't have any security. We don't, we don't have, I said, Dad, there's a bunch of people. We're going to present the gospel to him. It's going to be amazing. That didn't even detour him. He's just like, oh, my gosh, this is scary. What if it burns down? All of these these different things are going on. I said, Dad, don't worry about it. We're charging everyone. We're going to have thousands of dollars. This is going to be great. My dad's like, you're charging a church? Like, oh, my, that, that threw him for a loop. And then all of a sudden, the DJ's in the background. He threw some Michael Jackson on, secular music. Can you believe that? Threw some, my dad's like, his eyes got big. He goes, that's secular music? And I was like, Dad. I put my hand on him. I said, Dad, go home. Go home. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And what was so nuts is he did. I never expected in my wildest dreams that my dad would, would walk away from this whole thing. And instantly as he drove away, I knew several things. This is what I knew. I knew that release wasn't something that we talked about. Release was something that we actually did. It's more than just our mission statement to release people to find their destiny. It was something that we actually did. The other thing that I knew is that we weren't afraid to change stuff. We weren't afraid. We were, we were going to establish a culture of change. And just because something has never been done before doesn't mean it can't be done. I learned that right then and there. I'm like, the sky is the limit to what we could do. And, and all of a sudden, I realized that we could establish a culture that we could literally change the world that could live beyond us and go, and, and, and go to generations after us. And, and as I, 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 the excitement of that has literally stirred my life all the way till now. And that was 20, 20 plus years ago. But the question I want to ask and what I've seen wherever I've gone is I don't see that same thing happening most places. What I see is power that's locked up in a church. I see power that's kind of locked into a building. I wonder how much destiny, I wonder how many personal miracles are actually on hold because they're stuck in a storage unit called the church. I want to I read a story from the, from the, the story of, of, of Elisha, from the life of Elisha. And Elisha, most of you would know, he was the, the prophet that succeeded Elijah. Elijah was massively used by God, performed so many miracles, was, 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 was an amazing, amazing, amazing prophet of his time. And Elisha saw something in Elijah and says, I want that. 
Like inside of his heart, he said, I want a double, I don't want just that. I want a double portion of that. There was this stirring in him. He said, look, I'll do anything because I want that. And so the Bible describes how he would follow Elijah. And everywhere Elijah would go, there would be Elisha. And on that day, when the horses and chariots took Elijah up into heaven, Elisha was there to witness it. And he was able to grab the cloak. And we know the story. He, he threw it. He whipped it. And he said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And all of a sudden, the same power, but in double portion, was, was now active in his life. It's an amazing story of transition. It's an amazing story. I, I don't know if you, 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 it does to you what it does to me, but, but what, what is sad is that when you fast forward Elisha's life and you get to the end of his life, that same succession isn't there. That same transfer isn't there. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, there's a really strange story that just seems like it's kind of dropped in the Bible. And it says that Elisha died and was buried. Later, some Moabite raiders, we're just going to call those the bad guys, okay? Some bad guys that used to enter the country every spring. And, and once while God's people, the Israelites, were burying a man, they saw these bad guys, so they ditched the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bone, grab this, when the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man came back to life and stood up on his feet. Now, that is an amazing story. I think we all have to admit that. That's an amazing story, but I also think it, it lacks context. Like, why the heck is this in the Bible? This is, this is not a story about some guys burying a man's friend. This is not a story about a man who was even raised from the dead because we never read about him again. This story is kind of like hanging there. It's kind of left open to interpretation. It's, it's there to, to think about, but it kind of lacks a point. But I think the mystery of this story, as I read it, the mystery of the story is locked in the dead bones of Elisha. They're stuck there. Is that there's this great power, enough power to raise a dead person to life just simply by touching these bones. There's enough power in these bones to bring a dead person back to life. That's a lot of power. Can I hear somebody today? I mean, Elisha's gone. His, his, his go he's gone. His, his body's decayed. All that's left in this tomb is bones. But somehow there's this unspent power that's still locked into these bones. And even though Elisha had long left this planet, there was still power that hadn't left yet. For some reason, I think Elisha died incomplete. I think for some reason, he died with unspent power still within him. So why would God allow all of this power to be locked up and, and, and wasted in some dead bones in an old tomb? Why would God even allow that? What's the point of this? This is what I wanted to find out. Why is this story even in the Bible? Just, it just seems weird. And all of a sudden, I began to, 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 what began to resonate in my heart is this, is that what God has given us and put in our hearts has to be spent here on this earth. We can't take it with us. All the ideas and the passions and the desires that are inside of you, heaven doesn't need it back. It's been given to you to use on this planet. God doesn't want it back. You're not going to say, hey, God, here's my leftovers. It's not going to happen like that. It's meant to be used. We're supposed to finish empty. There was no need for that power to be in a tomb. It should have been used up while Elisha was on this planet. We've got we've to end up with nothing in reserve, with nothing that we wish we would have done, with no one we wish we would have helped. God has filled us to get us empty. We're supposed to empty ourselves out, and I've determined with my life that I'm going to get empty. I'm, I've determined that there's not going to be anything that I, I don't say, that there's not going to be anything that I didn't do, no one that I didn't help, nowhere that I wanted to go that I never visited. I don't want to take a secret recipe to the grave. Some of you guys have been holding on to your, your mom's enchilada recipe all these years. You need to let it go. Why take it to the grave, man? Share it with everybody. You know what I'm talking about. There's no point in that. Why would you take a recipe to the grave? I don't want to die alone without spiritual sons and daughters that I was able to invest in. I refuse to hold on to a baton that I should have passed on a long time ago so that it can continue on. Now, here's the thing. I think Elisha, at the end of his life, 
he realized, oh man, it's almost over and I've got a lot left in the tank. And I think Elisha realized that and he tried to, he tried to, he tried to off it. If you look at our text in 2 Kings, just a few verses earlier, same story, but just a few verses earlier, Elisha's still alive in verse 14. The Bible says Elisha was suffering from this illness and that he was, was going to take his life. And the king of Israel went down to see him and wept over him and said, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because those same terms were used with Elijah. Okay, this is just the next generation. Same, same thing. Chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha said, oh, hurry up. Get a bow and some arrows. And so he did. He said, take the bow in your hands. And when he took it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And Elisha said, open up the window. And he opened it. And he said, shoot. And, Elisha, and, and so he shot. And, and Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You're going to completely destroy those Arameans. And then he said, take those arrows. So the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. And so he struck the ground three times and then he stopped. And Elisha was angry. I don't think he was angry at him. I think he was angry at himself. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you're only going to defeat it three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. And some bad guys entered the country every spring. Once, once while some Israelites were burying a man, they saw a band of bad guys. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man's feet came to, man came to life and stood up on his feet. What a tragedy, man. That right here at the end of his life, he's trying to, he's trying to, he, he's trying to give it away. But the king had no idea what was going on. And that Elisha knew that the deadline for his unspent power was about to expire. And you can see the frustration in Elisha. He's trying to hand it off. He's trying to give it away. And I think, I think the key to longevity, the key to what you're trying to do here in Kingman with this church, you don't want this to be just for this generation. The key to what you're trying to do, the key to longevity is passing it on. Somebody shout amen. It's, it's giving it off. It has to be the culture of what we do. It has to define who we are. Are you with me this morning? has to define who we are. I'd like the worship team to come up, and I just want you to think about three things. I want to give you three challenges in about two minutes, and then we'll be done. The first challenge is this. I think what Elisha didn't do, what he, what he was unable to accomplish, I don't think he did these three things. The first thing I think we need to do is we need to establish a culture. Somebody say culture. Culture. This is how we operate. A culture just is a natural thing. There's a culture to the city of Kingman. It's much different than the culture of Southern California, I'll be honest. But it's a culture nonetheless. It's how, how you live and how you, how you do life. It's, we need in our church to have a culture of change. That way when we do a change, it's not a big deal. Are you hearing, hearing me? And so I know change is difficult. Change is hard sometimes. And you got to learn to embrace hard questions because they're going to come at you. Why are we doing this? I don't like this. I used to sit over there, and now I'm over here. I don't, I, I don't understand. We don't like change. And so anytime someone does something that's a little bit different or outside the line, some of you, you, you saw Harvey today, and oh my gosh, there's smoke in the building. Somebody call the fire department. You know what I mean? All of us, that, we don't like change. It's hard for us, and that's completely understandable. But in the kingdom of God, we have to embrace change. We've got to learn to hand it off. We've got to hand off to the next generation. Be willing to take a different route to the same vision. Hello. The second thing I think we've got to do is we've got to learn to trust. Somebody say the word trust. Trust. It's amazing to me that when my dad drove away from that breakdancing event, what was the most amazing thing for me is that I was trusted. It, it, it empowered me in ways that you, 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 I can't explain. I don't know how to put words to it. But when he drove away that day, what he was saying was, Adam, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know if that's really what he was thinking, but that's what I took out of it. I hadn't proven myself. I didn't earn that. But in a moment of time, he says, he, 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 as he drove away, I was offered trust. Do you know that Jesus, how crazy was Jesus to trust 11 disciples that were, had let him down over and over and over again? And Jesus is like, hey, peace, I'm out. Go into all the world, make disciples. He trusted them. They didn't let him down. 
We've got to learn to trust. This, the third thing we've got to do is, is practice release. Practice release. It can't be something that we talk about. It has to be something that we do. Release involves rolling the dice on people. People that aren't qualified, we give them a chance. People that will mess up and make mistakes and embarrass us and say things that are dumb and all of that. It's going to backfire once in a while when you release people into ministry, release people to do things. Sometimes it goes against common sense to to throw somebody the keys. Aren't you glad your parents at some point in your life threw you the keys, let you take a spin? Come on, what if that never happened? What What if you were still, you know, Five years, you know, 50 years later, still living with mom. Come on, man. That's right. Get out. Aren't you glad someone released it to you and said, hey, give it a shot. I trust you. Do it. Go on your way. Do, do everything that's in your heart. Listen, we've got, we've got to be those kinds of people. And release, it's second-guessed all the time. We've got to be willing to embrace that. Amen. So we're going to establish a culture of change. We're going to learn to trust, and we're going to practice release. I think that's how we hand it off. I think that's what Elisha didn't do, that we can learn from this story and not allow the power to end up in a tomb. Let the power be spent where it needs to be spent right here on this earth. So let's bow our heads just for a moment. I just want to make a call in this room. Maybe you're here today. We don't ever do church without inviting someone to know Jesus. I don't like, I don't like going to church and not giving somebody an opportunity to meet the best thing that ever happened in my life. And that's a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I've never accepted Christ in my life. I've never made a decision for Jesus. I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you just raise your hand all over this place. Just really quickly, you say, I want to give Jesus my life. All over this room, you just raise your hand. You put it right back down. Put it right back down. Anyone at all. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. But God's faithful to forgive us our sins. He's faithful to cleanse us of all of our, all we have to do is, is, is repent. And the Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's an amazing guarantee. It is. It's an amazing guarantee. Anyone at all, you want to give your life to Jesus all over this room. Amen. You know what we need to do? We need to bring somebody to church next week and invite them to, to experience a, a relationship with Jesus. Let's do that. The second call that I, that I want to make today in this room, and I'd like you just to think about right here, is I think it's important that you determine what's in your heart and that you make a decision to get it out. Make a decision to get out what's in your heart. Right now, I want you to think about that. What is it that moves you? What is it that, 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 that pushes you forward? What, do you, what makes you go? What excites you? What, what causes you to tick? It's those things are clues to your destiny. It's clues to you. You gotta get it out. You gotta, you gotta get it out in your heart. Some of you had dreams for long periods of time and you've just kind of been waiting for God to make it happen. And the whole time, God's waiting for you just to take a step. He's waiting for you just to take a step. And you're saying, well, I don't know what, what's gonna happen on step five. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna see step five until you take steps two, three, and four. Some of us need to just make that decision. Let's get it out of our hearts. Let's get it out of our hearts. God's dealing with you right now. I want you to seal that right in your chair. Just say, God, I wanna get it out. God, give me the courage to step out and believe and do what, you, what I know you've put inside of my, my heart to do. Because the, the third and final challenge today is that you weren't meant to, 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 to die with power in your bones. You're not supposed to finish full. You're supposed to finish empty. And I pray that some people in this room today would determine, you know what? I'm going to finish empty. I'm going to give I'm going to give everything I've got to what's inside of me, what God's put there because I know what he's given me for earth has got to be spent here on this planet. I can't take it with me. God doesn't want it back. Heaven doesn't need it. I'm going to spend what God's put on my heart here on this earth in Jesus name. Let me pray for you. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? Jesus, I thank you today. God, I thank you for this church, this great group of people. Thank you for their staff, for their pastors. God, what an amazing place this is. Lord, I'm, Lord, there's so many people that need to be in this house right now. This city is full of people that need to be sitting in these chairs and, and listening to messages like these. Lord, I pray that you would use us. Lord, what's in our heart. Lord, what you want to do in this city, we believe, is already in the building today. I pray that we would have the courage to step out and walk into it. Lord, to do all that you've called us to do. Lord, you've chosen us for a reason. Lord, help us to step into it right now in this season in Jesus' name. In Jesus. Would you seal that right there? Would you, say, would, you, would you seal that, Lord? Say, Lord, use my life, God. Lord, what you've put in my heart, help me to get it out in Jesus name in Jesus name I'm expecting great things I'm expecting great things in Jesus name amen 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 you know I look forward to being back with you because I feel like this church 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try and I'm gonna prophesy to you a little bit. I feel like you guys are on the on the cusp of something. I'm telling you. I, 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 I mean, listen. I don't remember the last time I was here. Do you remember how long ago has it been? About four years. Okay. In four years, this place is unbelievably different. Unbelievable in a very good way. And I'm not talking about paint. I'm not talking about carpet. That's not what I'm talking about. There's something in the atmosphere here. Something happening here. You're on the cusp of something really exciting. And what it's going to take, it's, and some of us are waiting for the staff to kind of lead us that. It's going to take some people from the, from the, come on, from the center of who we are. So we need a groundswell movement is what we need. The, 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 the staff is not meant to do all the ministry anyways. The, the staff is meant to ad- administer we're just, we're, 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 we're told to organize. But the ministry's got to come from the people because God's put it in your heart what to do. And so we're just going to trust what God's put in your heart that's going to use, God's going to use it to reach this city. And so I'm challenging you. Some of you got to step out of your comfort zone. Some of you got to put your hand up and say, I'll do it. I, I, I'm willing to help. I, what, what do you need? What do you need? I'm challenging you to step into that. Step into what God's called you to do. In Jesus' name, amen? Look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, Jesus. Wasn't that wonderful this morning? Amen. A great word from God. Hallelujah. I want to personally invite you all back for the concert tonight. Amen. Amen. Come on back. Bring somebody. Tell, you know, your in-laws, your outlaws, whatever you got to bring. Just find somebody at Safeway. Bring them back and say, hey, you know what? You're coming to a free concert, and I believe God will touch their lives. Amen. Our prayer team is coming. You're free to go today. If you have any kind of need, come on up. Let them minister to you. We love you. God bless you. You have a wonderful, wonderful day.
Till I 